0: i so
1: Welcome back, Grease Fiends. This is the J-Man himself, coming from Exploited Cinema. I'm here with my long-lost fucking orphan buddy, Bat32. He's been on a fucking life journey. He's been out in the desert doing the Jim Morrison peyote thing. But, we're, but he's yeah, back. Yeah, that was great. Fuck, I bet it was great. You still don't know what your real name is. He's telling me it was like Three, three Tongues or something was his new name. <laughs> Fuck.
2: It's the so, peyote, man. It's the peyote.
1: Sounds like a porn star. And a run with the wolves. I guess. Hey, eh? you had a Chavez experience.
3: Right, right.
1: <laughs> Young Guns. Great movies. Right on. But yeah, we're back with. Uh, we're back momentarily, I guess, uh, from our hiatus.
2: Mm-hmm. Thought oh, we'd f- give the grease fiends here something to chew on for a little bit.
1: Fucking. They better chew on it for a while, man. Don't spit it out because it's going to last you.
2: <laughs> right exactly
1: it's all you got it's gotta last you yeah.
2: <laughs> well we got something nice to break off for him here because i was uh lucky enough in in my uh uh bad luck circumstances a little good luck came around and we were able to get an interview at least i was you were there in spirit of course so mm-hmm.
1: i was really at work but yeah <laughs>
2: And, uh, the interview is with, uh, it's been requested. I know Dale requested it, and I think there's a couple other guys that were interested in us interviewing this fellow. And, uh, it's, uh, 42nd Street Pete, uh, one of the greasiest guys around. He's, uh, he's kind of a pioneer of the grease.
1: The infamous, the legend. Yeah, he's kind of what I aspire to be when I get older, actually.
2: Yeah. And you'll love this interview. I know you haven't heard it yet, but uh, we get into some greasy shit. He's talking about first time with hookers and all nice. all the greasy movies he liked on on Forty Second Street. His his first time on Forty Second Street. So we we got into a bunch of shit.
1: Does he talk about his first time on Forty Second Street with hookers?
2: Um, yeah, I think he does get into nice. it a little bit. I mean, like his first hooker experience. So, cause I asked him, you know, like, uh, with the sleaziest moments, you know.
1: Hmm. Cool. I can't wait to hear
2: that. But the guy is like an encyclopedia of, of 42nd street. I mean, we could have went on and I could have cut a three hour. It ended up being an hour and 20 minutes, give or take. I haven't shaved it down yet. We'll see what it is, but it's over an hour and, uh, yeah. Yeah, man, we could have went three hours. I mean, the guy pretty much told me his life story. It was like a mini autobiography, which is great. I loved it, you know.
1: With a name like 42nd Street Pete, yeah, you'd have to have a vast knowledge of 42nd Street. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he is infamous in the exploitation circles. Like like, fucking Pete's kind of like the the go-to guy if you need a question answered that no one else can answer.
2: Yeah, or like a name of who did this title or what, cause he knows all the obscure porn and exploitation. And the guy used to sell stag films, I mean, he still does deal in porn. We get into that too, as well, the lifestyle of being a porn peddler, so.
1: Mm-hmm. Bet you get your dick sucked lots, I bet. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. So, shall I get into what, uh, what our hiatus was all about? Cause I know not everybody uh, that listens is really, uh, on board with the facebook
1: yeah bend them over and fill them in buddy
2: well basically uh on easter sunday uh i went over to my cousins to enjoy a nice ham dinner and uh basically do the square thing can and ham? uh no i wasn't it, <laughs> it. It, was, it wasn't uh it wasn't the cheap ham or anything i'm
1: just but, i'm just bugging
2: you <laughs> look i'm telling you about fucking the tragedy and you're like can ham was it spam yeah did you have a glaze on it
1: ketchup glaze
2: oh shit that's that's meatloaf man
1: fucking word up
2: so yeah man i basically returned to my house and uh found that the monitor had uh, somehow uh ignited and uh burned up the computer and uh basically pushed it, it's uh there was no oxygen feeding to the fire so it pushed up this black soot all over the fucking place and uh pretty much ruined everything in the living room in the kitchen uh, like like i said the computer got toasted luckily for some reason that morning before i left i closed the bedroom door and i put all the movies because usually i'll have a handful of movies out in the living room for the dvd player or whatever well couple nights before i had put everything back on the shelf and sorted everything so it was in the bedroom including most of the posters and the door was shut so it, it got back there but not too much Uh basically the collection is it's salvageable but it, it'll always it'll never be perfect you know it'll never be mint anymore you know, i will always have that lingering uh burnt computer part smell i'm sure so <laughs> it's not minty
1: fresh anymore
2: No, it's not, which sucks, but, uh, I'm gonna do my best to get them cleaned and shit. I still haven't cleaned anything. It's all up in Michigan right now. And I, and again, yeah, the whole, the whole fiasco brought me down to Tennessee to start a new life. So, and, um, you know, I've been liking it down here so far, but I haven't been down here for a week yet. So (laughs) we'll see how it rolls.
1: Well, you can go hook up with the Tennessee three. Fucking John, what's that? That was it? that's fucking. Uh, what's his face's old band? Fucking <laughs> Johnny Cash. They're probably all oh, okay. Now. Yeah. Well, I,
2: yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of music going on down here. I'm outside of Nashville, so it's uh, a lot of music on. happening.
1: Yeah, not my
2: kind of music.
1: Go, go see a Predators game. Fuck. <laughs> well,
2: fucking there's. There's definitely lots of restaurants down here, and the people are nice. They so uh, got that southern hospitality, and you know, fried chicken left and right. I mean, fucking, I'm in heaven down here, man.
1: Fried chicken. You're to miss tacos. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's
2: Tennessee. taco places.
1: I, I reckon there's Mexicans
2: I down here. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really it's Nashville. Weird. I'll be honest.
1: That's One extra now.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, half half breed. So, right um, but yeah, there's. It's Go really on. just like a melting pot down here, people. Like, you got Middle Eastern. You'd hate it, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs>
2: hmm.
1: Trying to say I'm racist or something? What the fuck?
2: Insert, insert joke here.
1: <laughs> fuck, it's a mixing pot where I live. It's like a big shit stew.
2: Oh, shit. <laughs> That's why all the prisons are there.
1: Totally, man. We just gotta lock them up. Lock them up and pay me big bucks to harass them.
2: <clears throat>
1: Poke them with a stick. So,
2: what have you been up to, man? Cause I really haven't bullshitted with you much. You've been just, uh, working and taking in movies or what? Let's, let's hear, uh, one of J-Dog's adventures.
1: Shit. My adventure went to Walmart, bought fucking jumbo box of Twinkies and yeah, it's about all I've been doing.
2: You said you picked up Battle Royale uh, Special Edition, right?
1: Yeah, got that yesterday. Jeremiah Johnson Blu ray, I picked that up. Really? Oh, yeah, Jeremiah Johnson, he was a mountain man. Yeah. It,
2: was that brand new, or was that, you said
1: $8? No, brand new, Blu ray.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, well, well, no, I mean, Walmart's got a 8 I don't know, at, at the Michigan, they had an $8 Blu ray bin, so. so we got the RoboCop. Nice.
1: Yeah, we got that too. I already had it though. I don't know, just been watching yeah. shit, working, kicking back, just yeah, enjoying my time off really. I'm just, just kinda on burnout for a while, watched too many movies, so I was just kinda chilling, watching T V, watching hockey. And yeah, I've been
2: there, man. I know what it's has I know what it's like to get burned out on the movies. <laughs> so
1: Weather's getting nicer, gonna be doing some fishing, shooting some guns, get my red, get my neck fucking red again.
2: Yeah, man. It's supposed to be. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go do,
1: go do all that fucking bigotty things. All the things that bad expects me to do being a redneck bigot.
2: hmm mm-hmm. Hell Got to yeah. Climb back into your suit.
1: <laughs> yeah, dust off my overalls. Fucking yeah, right. Yeah, man. Get all my shine.
2: I don't mm-hmm. know. We might come up with some other shit along the way. I don't know. We'll probably run an outro like we usually do and have some more shit to talk about. It's been a while. It just kind of feels weird doing it, man. It's like, uh I don't know what to say because it's been so fucking long, you know. But uh, I'm glad to be back doing it. It's like being in
1: jail and getting out and be, getting with a woman again. It's like, hmm. It's like, I want to get into this, but I kind of forgot how to fuck. Yeah.
2: That's kind of like a- my buddy. He, when he got out of prison, he was always like, Nine o'clock, is the CEO coming around tell me lights out? <laughs>
1: looking looking over his shoulder, eating his fucking supper, leaning over <laughs> his plate with a fucking, is ready to stab someone with his fork. Exactly. Say, motherfucker, that's my, that's my baloney. <laughs>
0: keep that, keep that.
1: Yeah. Definitely walking, showering with his ass to the wall and shit like that.
2: <laughs>
1: only uh, you would know. Oh, yeah, well, then jailhouse life, man, I even do it. I just worked there.
2: <laughs> you just but got I, into the spirit. <laughs>
1: yeah, man. I just like fucking. Hey, when in Rome, it's the way of life. It's the way of the road.
2: <laughs> Fuck yeah, man.
1: Minus the piss jugs, but yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I mean that's that's a perk all of its own. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Can't say I haven't used a piss jug at work before,
2: anyway. So. Well, you did a. We need to touch upon the piss jug. Topic, because uh, I know Axel cut it out of his show, but uh, you guys were piss jug buddies uh, for the Halloween special, huh?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, actually, we were. <laughs> he, he cut that out of his show, did he? <laughs>
2: yeah, he did, and I was like, "Where'd the piss jug shit go?"
1: Well, I guess yeah. He he doesn't want everyone to know we were pissing in jugs during the five six hour show.
2: I think he said it was a Foster's can. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, fuck, I had to use a four-liter milk jug with the big, thick end on it.
2: Well, you need the support and shit when the thing starts getting full. Wow,
1: well, that too, and plus I got an anaconda snake.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> stunt,
1: stunt cock, fuck.
2: Well, you could have just rolled it out to the bathroom and just chilled then, huh?
1: I tried. I was about th- three, four inches short. I would have pissed oh. all over the seat.
2: You got to get yeah. that fucking uh, extension, and you would have made
1: it. <laughs> I just need to stretch it a little more, pull on it some more. Yeah. Maybe, I, maybe that's what I'll do tonight.
3: Oh, gee.
1: Wait, well, you know how those? Do you know how that tribe extends their necks with those rings? That's what I do with my yeah. wing. Pile on! I about
2: wondered 12. how it got so long.
1: Yeah, about twelve cock rings all at once. <laughs> good times, man. We were.
2: We were pondering on that episode <laughs> we did whether uh whether Strebo had a piss jug. So Strebo, right in, man. Let us know if you were rocking a piss jug too.
1: He, he had depends.
2: <laughs> he just tied a diaper took shit too. Yeah, fuck it. Good, oh, good That's an idea, it. man. I never thought about that. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you'd have to. That way you could just get drunk and just, by the end, by the end of the show, you could just pass out where, where you're sitting. Fuck, you'd be a mite ripe in the morning, though. Ooh. Eh, eh,
2: time for a shower.
1: Yeah, single guy can get away with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, fucking a. Well, you got, any, got anything else here to hit them? Before no, man, no. The, to the meat and potatoes you,
2: and Pete interview? So, stay tuned to the sleaziest podcast on the planet. Yeah, we still hold that title, even though we've been gone a while. You're listening, to (laughs) (laughs) Cinema. Yeah, we're out of practice.
4: Did you ever wonder what really happens at those live sex shows? Welcome to Fantasy World. My name is Nigel. I shall be your guide, your master of ceremonies, your inspiration on an adventure like none you have ever experienced. All of your wildest fantasies will come true at Fantasy World. Just ask this satisfied customer.
0: Fantasy World, if you dare.
4: That's the spot. Simon Lewis, what would your wife think if she saw you up here right now? But how did you know my name, that I'm married? I read your mind, Frank. I also know what your fantasy is, the one that you're about to have with Serena. Anything can and does happen in Fantasy World. Where am I? Who are you? John, at your service.
5: You have anything in there that three young ladies out on the town might be interested in? You seem a
0: little too straight for Fantasy World.
4: I want three men. Fantasy world has it all and more. Ellen, do you hear that music? find strange happiness here i don't create anything except for the mechanical devices the fantasies are the visions of the people themselves who knows maybe you'll be one of the lucky few to experience the ultimate fantasy
6: everybody knows when 42nd street pete is in the house anything goes at the grind house
4: turns you on doesn't it you little maggot
6: yeah Every Saturday night. Mm. 9 p.m. Central.
4: Mm.
6: 10 p.m. EST.
4: If you want to be a party animal, you have to learn to live in the jungle.
6: This is my grind house, 42nd Street Pete.
2: All right, guys welcome back to the show and on board we've got 42nd street pete for uh, a nice little interview here and uh i guess we're gonna jump right in um so give us a rundown like how how you encountered 42nd street because you're originally from jersey right or
6: yeah what happened was um i went i was you know i was raised in new jersey west orange you know uh, livingston that area and then uh What happened was, you know, you're, you know, you're talking the 60s. I was like a junior in high school in 68. And, uh, you know, Vietnam War was still, you know, in full swing there. And I was basically classified 1A, which meant my ass was going out to die in a fucking jungle. So we were already cutting school and taking the bus into New York and then going down to the, you know, the village and drinking underage down there. So, one day, I made the left turn instead of the right turn outside of Port Authority and wound up on the quarter of 42nd and 8th, and uh I looked down and I just saw this whole smorgasbord or marquee with all this great stuff playing in there, and uh honestly, never looked back. You had just, never uh, been
2: over there before, I take it, then, or?
6: Oh, you know, on class trips and shit like that, but you were regulated. You know, when we, st- when we started, you know, cutting class and sneaking over there, it was anything went. Yeah. So... Plus, I was like, uh, you know, over over six feet tall when I was a junior in high school. So I had no trouble getting served in a bar. So um, I just started, be, you know. Uh, certain bars w- wouldn't proof your one bar was um, Club 44 on 44th Street, which had some hot barmaids and shit like that. And that's where I'd end up every Friday night. And then, you know, you'd get, you know, half a shitter on and go see a movie or, you know, whatever. You know, you just, you know, get wrapped up in the whole thing so i basically uh i guess my claim to fame is i saw basically anything uh from well even going back to the 50s stuff because they they you know re it i saw all that stuff on the big screen up until uh shit the early 90s when i just stopped going to the movies altogether because it just sucked you know
2: yeah now were you a film buff like uh before you know encountering 42nd street oh it's-
6: huge okay. huge i mean i mean you know, uh, the thing is, I, I went to Catholic school when I was a kid, and um, they had just leased the Universal stuff for television, and for some reason, they were showing this stuff like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And of course, Catholic school, Frankenstein, no, no, so they made sure everybody's parents knew that, you know, this stuff was going on and not to let them see it. So I snuck up in the attic and hooked up, you know, a old te- you know one of those old TVs and basically got to see a little bit of it. But... Abbott and Costello, you could see. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So one day I'm out, you know, fucking around with my friends and somebody go, Oh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein comes on like, you know, three o'clock. And then I'm like, okay, maybe I can get away with this. So I go home and oh, yeah, you could watch it. But after, uh, you know, we're done watching what we're watching. So luckily I caught it, caught it, you know, at the climactic battle with all the monsters. So that sort of opened the door to, you know, my parents saw that, Oh, this isn't that bad. So, you know, I got to watch all that other stuff. And then, um, what happened was, uh, they had this thing called The Big Show um, on Channel 7, for 4 o'clock. And um, they bought a bunch of packages, like all well, the AIP stuff, you know, the drive-in stuff, mm-hmm. things like that. So, you know, one day it was monster movies, one day it was war movies, one day it was Western movies, and so on and so on and so on. So I got to see a lot of the AIP stuff, you know, that way. And then the other thing was um, there was a horrible animal known as the Kitty Matinee. So with the kitty matinee, you know, it, it was like almost today, like, you know, how you babysit a kid, you drop a DVD or a tape in the thing, you put the kid in front of the TV.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: Well, it was just as easy to drive the kids down to the movie theater, which was an old grindhouse in Orange, New Jersey, called the embassy. And, you know, give them a buck a piece because it was 50 cents to get in and another quarter for popcorn, quarter for drinks. And, you know, they were there till five o'clock. But they never asked us what we were seeing. So actually, my first kitty matinee was a uh, horror Frankenstein. Uh, Curse uh, Curse Frankenstein, Horror of Dracula. So I said to my little brother, I said, you're not going to say a fucking word about this, are you? So, you know, every Saturday we got down there. I mean, I even saw stuff like, you know, the real art re-releases of Universal, you know, the Creature movies. Got to see it all. I mean, sometimes you had to sit through with Jerry Lewis thing or some shit like that just to, you know, be there. But yeah. you got to see all that stuff there. And then, like, you know, like I said, the logical progression was, you know, uh, the biggie was Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, that came out in '68, and everybody wanted to see it. And that's the one that actually fucking scared me. That blew me away. Just the atmosphere and like there was no. Well, you know no what it, was? it came out in '68. Like I didn't. I didn't see it till '69 on the, on the bottom half of double bill with Slaves. But we had been told so much about this thing that the minute the music went on, we almost shit ourselves.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: So that film I had to see theatrically about a hundred fucking times because I kept dragging people to see it. And then it was always playing with something. Like it played with Last House on the Left. It played with uh, Mark of the Devil. It played with you know. It was always around. Yeah. And we figured out that you know, no matter where you are in the world, it's always playing somewhere. Right, right up until today. So
2: you know, that it, was your first grindhouse real experience, and idea with like a sleazy film, or?
6: Oh well, you know, I, I had seen other things there, but you know, this, this was the first one that actually kicked the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. And then you know. Uh, that, of course, opened up the floodgates to, you know, all these, you know, imitations like, you know, uh, don't open the window, um, I drink your blood, I eat your skin, the yeah. blind dead, all this other stuff. You know, like this whole avalanche came out after that, so it was like tons of great grindhouse shit.
3: Right, right.
6: So, like I said, I, you know, I wound up hanging around Manhattan, so I got to see all this good stuff. Then you mix in, you know... And and Grindhouse is not, you know, relegated to horror. It encompasses many genres like the biker films, uh, the spaghetti westerns, the karate stuff, the women in prisons, the porn, um, a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So it was all encompassing. And, you know, you, you'd see, you know, like weird double bills, like my, my all time favorite weird double bill was spirits of the dead and hell's angels 69.
2: Oh yeah. Hell's angels. That's great stuff. I'm really into the biker flicks too. Yeah, you,
6: You get that on there too. And, uh, you know, all that stuff was coming out, you know, in, in the 70s, too, Satan, Sadist. I mean, Wild Angels, I think, came out in, God, 67, maybe?
2: Yeah, the Peter Fonda the
6: one. Somebody's calling me, fuck like this. Um, trying to think. I put, let me put this phone in a drawer or Yeah, here. sure. Okay, I'll get rid of that. So, um, yeah, so, you know, I think Wild Angels was the one... Gary Kent told me that the, bike, the biker movies were the things that saved the B movies, Really? because okay. they were cheap and easy to make.
2: Hell's Angels on Wheels, I know, he was involved in that one too, right? The uh, uh, was it uh, Jack Nicholson?
6: Um, I'm not sure whether he was in it. He did a lot of stunt work and He usually played the good guy because he was the he was the good guy in Satan Sadists. Yeah, and he's been on my show a couple of times. He's a great guy, and you know his book Shadows and Light. That's a great book to read.
2: Yeah, I love that uh, interview where he got into the because I'm kind of a uh, Manson family buff as far as like the backstory and stuff. So that that one interview you guys did with them was was awesome. Hearing hearing those uh, uh, Spawn Ranch stories. Uh.
6: Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna try to get him and uh, John Cardos on at the same time, like a like a sort of like the original Sons of Anarchy.
2: You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I, looking I forward to hearing more. I'd love to get his book. He's got a few books out now, right? A couple.
6: I don't know. I only you know, I only know about this one. I mean, he, he did. He did another movie. He had, he had done a movie called The Rainy Day Friends, which is about cancer. Oh, okay. Uh, surviving, you know, cancer and stuff like that. And you know, where we've been. You know, I think it's a great movie. I think it should get get a release and a big push. But it's kind of. It's not a horror film. Mm-hmm. It's. it's uh, and being that I've gone through you know cancer surgery and shit like that, I'm down with the whole thing about how they fuck you around. But nor getting off topic there, but. Yeah, you know, going back to the biker films, they said that that's something that saved the B movie, and uh, you know, Corman takes credit for that because you know, with the Wild Angels, but you know, prior to that, there was the Wild One, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it was always there. You know, and it's it's. Well, like Corman
2: was involved with uh,
6: Easy Rider too, correct? Uh, no, Columbia put that out. Columbia, okay. Yeah, I thought I was thinking that too, but it was like they couldn't sell that for some reason. Probably you know, all the
2: drug use and stuff, maybe. Could
6: be, but you know, Columbia put it out. We all know where that went. And unfortunately, we just lost Dennis last year. Yeah, yeah, so. it was
2: terrible. Yeah. So, so you're big into the biker flicks. Any other particular genres that you lean toward? I know you're into the porn heavy because you've you've dealt porn over the years, right? Stag, stag films. Oh and yeah, stuff selling like that. stag
6: films and you know opening a video store, then winding up working for liquidators. Um, No, I'm into it all. You know, not so much. Spaghetti westerns were another one I really loved. Um, You know, the women in prison stuff. That's where I first discovered Sid Haig, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, Pam Greer. And uh, then, of course, the Filipino stuff, you know, the mad doctor of Blood Island, Beast of Blood, Brides of Blood, um, all the stuff that, you know, John Ashley and Eddie Romero did. So,
2: yeah, I'm just starting to get into it. I'm a, I'm a lot younger. I'm only 25, but I'm just starting to get into that. I saw the uh, what is it? M- Machete Maidens Unleashed documentary. It's uh, definitely been turning me on to a, a lot of those
6: films. So, yeah, there, there was a whole uh, there was a whole cottage industry in the Philippines about that, because uh, the first one they did was um, Terrorism Man. Mm hmm with the one with Francis Learder and that was basically uh you know an Island uh Island of Doctor Moreau with one creature. But when you look at the top it says I I'll de sangre, you know, Blood Island. Mm-hmm. So uh it was Jerry De Leon and Eddie Romero were involved in that and then Brides of Blood it was uh Jerry De Leon and Eddie and then Eddie took it over for Mad Doctor and uh Beast and then you know Beast of the Yellow night. and they were doing all that you know the women in prison stuff, you know, like Jack Hill did a couple, then Eddie did a couple. I think um, Black Mama, White Mama was Eddie and uh, Savage Sisters, and you know they brought Pam in and like you know Sid Haig basically lived over there for a while.
2: Yeah, that's what I understand because he pops up in like all of them. Oh, he was thing. he was you know I,
6: I was always big into character actors you know especially even when I was a kid I'd watch shit to see Charles Bronson when he was a heavy and Lee Van Cleef and Jack Elam and Neville Brand so I always liked character actors mm-hmm. and you know when I was sitting there and I you know I saw Sid you know first come out when he was doing the uh, I don't remember exactly. It might have been the big doll. I think it was the big birdcage. I think he was playing a you know a gay guard because the guards were gay and they picked them up and stuff so he could get in and engineer the breakout.
3: Yeah, yeah.
6: So and they always teamed them with Vic Diaz. Either they were hooked up as like partners or fighting each other. So uh,
2: that's where the film just, started going more militant, right? With the uh, chicks and chains. Like it seems like the
6: military was more involved. Oh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt, you know, they, they were doing a bunch of stuff. And, you know, they had, you know, they just had a great cast of characters over there, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, jo- John Ashley, you know, had done the Blood Island stuff. And I think he had realized from the offset it was really cheap to film out here. And he got Corman involved with New World. Right, right. So I think Sam Sherman was heavily involved with Hemisphere. As a matter of fact, he's the one who released, the, you know, the Blood Island stuff on DVD. But, uh, you know... Ashley had his roots with Corman, you know, because of the AIP stuff and, you know, some of the stuff he had done. So um, he set himself up as a producer over there. And, you know, everybody remembers like Johnny from the Beach Party movies and shit. The guy was a great businessman. He owned, he owned property all over the place. You know, he was bouncing in and out of there. He uh, he was, a, you know, a, a producer on TV. The A-Team was his. Werewolf was his. Um, a ton of stuff. Unfortunately, he died young, too. Wow yeah, yeah he, I think he died of a massive heart attack he was only like sixty something in Manhattan or New York or something
2: oh okay I see yeah now but did he, you ever cross paths with him in, in New York No, or- no wish oh. I did he was a very
6: astute businessman you know uh, a, a lot you know a lot more going on than what you saw on the screen
2: yeah so I mean what got you into um, um dealing uh, uh, film prints and stuff like that
6: um well, See, I created the character 42nd Street Pete as a joke on something weird video. Mm -hmm. And the joke was on me because he liked it. And I wound up doing, you know, doing intros for a bunch of stuff, um, reviewing the eight millimeter comps and, uh, you know, writing a big article for the first blue book, then interviewing Vanessa Del Rey for the second one, then writing another article and stuff.
2: Was that during the 70s or was that in the 80s? Um,
6: That started, I think I started doing that in 90, around 90 something. It's when I first started doing the conventions and stuff, because he was at the conventions. Mm-hmm. So um, after a while, you know, we, we did two things, and then he had nothing else for me. And then Mike Razzo from Alternative Cinema had called me about um, doing some of Nick Phillips stuff. And, you know, one thing with the 8mm because there's no fucking plot and there's no sound. You could whip through them fast forward and just, you know, make notes and come back and flesh them out later. hmm with the features, especially with Nicks because it's all narrated, you really had to pay attention to what was going on. And then I realized I had seen this shit, but it filed, you know, back in, you know, the dark recesses of my brain somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I got a chance to do this stuff. And then uh, I had approached Mike about the 8 millimeter stuff. And he said, well, everybody talks. You know, what, you want to put your money where your mouth is. And I threw X amount of dollars on the table. I said, match it and we're there. So that's when i started like you know um trying to find you know really rare prints and really rare loops i mean i had a shitload of eight millimeter stuff from going back in the day
7: mm-hmm.
6: but i didn't have any 16 stuff so i you know ran across a couple guys where i was buying and wheeling and dealing. i got like not so much what i put out already but i think i probably got another 50 features that are sitting down in jersey that you know uh they're going to come out eventually hopefully
2: now, these are all, like, unreleased, kind of, like, lost films, I take it? Oh, yeah,
6: pretty, pretty much. They're, you know, they're one-reelers. They're, you know, the One Day Wonders shot in New York, a lot of them. Um, some were shot, you know, on the coast. Um, we've had, uh, we've already put out um, two, um, you know, quadruple feature ones because, you know, these thing, like I said, they ran at places like the Harem, which was open 24-7, and, uh The Venus, which was open till you know, open at 10 o'clock in the morning and then closed at uh, 7 7 o'clock, you know, in the morning, one of them things. So, you know, we were looking for stuff like that, and I actually just did a night at the Venus with three three films that I had actually seen there in tandem, uh, Flesh of the Lotus, Teenage Fantasies, and um,
2: Horny Landlady. So that was like a walk down memory lane for you then,
6: huh? Oh, yeah, because like I said, you know, these things ran, you know, continuously until the film broke and stuff so you know it was just you know i, I was trying to you know, recreate that you know same ambiance that you know i had seen mm-hmm. so and so, you know so far we've succeeded you know we, we've done a bunch of stuff so where
2: where are you with the uh uh distribution and stuff are you are you uh, letting it lay or, or what's going because i know you've had a lot of problems with uh internet piracy and whatnot
6: Yeah, well, what happened was, you know, my last, I'd say, five releases, I haven't made a nickel on. And, you know, we all know what the problem is. We all know these torrent sites. We all know that they, for whatever reason, take the stuff and seem to get some kind of woody about, you know, letting people have it for nothing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had a big fight with Cinemageddon. But, you know, the the more you talk about them, the more you make them look good. Yeah. And they, they, you know, nobody's taking them down. So I just said, you know something? Um as far as the company goes, and our, our line is right now it's not worth doing anything because, you know, we're not going to make any money, you, which is a shame. You are not able to
2: strike hmm? a deal with any of these torrent sites to maybe, you know what I mean? No, they, they don't want to strike a deal. You know, the yeah. problem
6: is you have a bunch of fucking people who honestly think all media should be free. Well, great. All, all they're doing is they're killing guys like me who want to do something because now I have no incentive to do it. Yeah. And the companies have no incentive to put the shit out. So, you know, you keep robbing, robbing and robbing and robbing, you know, what are you going to do? And then, you know, my thing is, the shit can just sit there and turn to rot. Now, you know, I've already burnt shit on camera just to prove a fucking point. Yeah. Right, I've I've set shit on fire, stuff that was laying around here, just to prove a point that I will burn it and throw it the fuck out rather than let somebody steal it. Yeah, I think there was a video on YouTube of you uh, burning some stuff, wasn't it, or... No, I, I put, I put, I think it was on Facebook. I, okay. I just, you know, I, t- I took still shots. I, you know, I said first there was a, a spark, then there was a flame, then you see the thing go up. I took like three or four shots, and I said, and this is for all the people who think I'm fucking around, because I had a big problem with AV, ma- AV maniacs. I had a thread that went like over seventy pages,
7: mm-hmm.
6: and I said, well, you know, I'm not backing off on this stuff, and then you know, people were getting fucking personal about it. What are you gonna do about it? And One guy, you know, said, well, you know. You might think you're tough, this and that. The other thing, I said, blanket thing. I was still in Manhattan. I says, I'll meet you at the Holland Bar right behind Port Authority, and I'll sit right in the fucking window till midnight on the stool. And I did that. Nobody showed up. So it's all Internet muscles. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a tough guy or anything like that because I'm not. But, you know, you fuck with me, I will hit you. Well, Is they don't really
2: sense? have a leg to stand on when they're stealing your material. It's like. No, are but you, they where are you coming from,
6: from, you know? One guy said, well, you know something? that guy can suck his balls. Well, somebody else said, you know something? I know Pete, and I've seen him, and I said, I'd like you to say that to his face, because the sight of him yanking your asshole through your eye socket would make a great DVD extra. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they, they all talk. It, it's like, anybody knows where to find me, Cinema Wasteland. You know, when I was in New York, you know, I told people where I was. So, mm-hmm. And, you know, people still perpetuate this shit and still like to fuck around, but, you know something? You're only killing yourself, because... I'm to the point in my life, I don't need the fucking bullshit. And, you know, if I don't put the shit out, I'll sell it to somebody. I've already sold off a bunch of the stags. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I said, who would they hurt? You know, I, I, like I said, I got this stuff out there. Eventually, I'll make some money on it. But there's no sense in me doing anything else, you know. And there's a lot of stuff I'd like to do. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Where, where do you think all this internet piracy is going to take us? As like as far as creative efforts, you think it's going to stall things, or? Oh yeah, without a doubt.
6: Yeah. I mean, it's not going to stall Hollywood because they got mega bucks. You know, mm-hmm. a company like uh, I'll just throw some out: Synapse, Alternative Cinema, um, Wild Eye. They're, they're working with X amount of dollars. They're small companies. It kills them when they do this shit. Yeah. And what's going to happen is the things that you and I like, and a lot of other people like, mm-hmm. are never going to see the light of day. And yeah, then, and that's a sad thing, too. And you know what it is, too? And everybody on the Internet, they're so overly fucking critical of everything. I mean, it's insane. I mean, I got this, this this whole bad review where basically somebody made a comment about me dying my facial hair. Well, what are you doing? You're watching this thing to jerk off at my picture or you're watching the porn, you know? Right. Who gives a fuck? And then one, one guy said, well, I, I don't want – why would I want to see a creepy old man? And I also shot back because the fact that I was fucking just surviving a cancer operation – Ever come to your fucking mind? You know? They all got something to say and it's all fucking bad. That's yeah. the problem. Well, I, know, every, everybody's got something to say. And it what killed me is I don't know who did this. Somebody put out a, a double feature of Flesh Feast and Tree on a Meat Hook. Mm-hmm. And people are shitting all over it, but why? There is you know the only other guy who's selling Tree on a Meat Hook is somebody who's selling it for thirty bucks on Amazon and the cover is a screen grab. At least whoever. I've seen
2: that print. It looked like it was. It didn't look like it was remastered, but it did look like it was. It was decent looking. Which one, the double feature? Um, I am. Yeah, I'm thinking it might have been the double
6: feature. Yeah. Yeah, it was Flesh Feast and Trana Meat Hook. Okay. Yeah. Well, like I said, I don't know who put it out, but number one, it's only selling for ten bucks. Number two, you're getting two movies, and like I said, somebody else is selling a shitty shitty fucking copy for 30 bucks, and they've been getting it. Yeah, yeah. So, but these fans are crapping all over this, and the bottom line is, I tried to find a print of three on a meat hook. There isn't any. Yeah. Whatever happened to this movie, maybe it was made on that bad Kodak stock, maybe it faded to pink, maybe there wasn't a hell of a lot of them made, but nobody seems to have it. Mm-hmm. So if these guys took it off VHS and it looks good, you know, what the fuck? What is everybody bitching about? What's $10, you know?
2: Well, I remember I bought a print. It was probably back in the late 90s, and it looked like a VHS rip. It looked pretty terrible, and it was probably a bootleg through one of those companies that, you know, do, yeah. like... It might have even been um, a Cinema Wasteland, because uh, I know they do um, double-feature rip discs and stuff, or they used to, at least. Yeah. And... Um, the the print that you're talking about, the double feature, that looks that doesn't look like a VHS rip. It looks like it might have been taken from the original material, not not restored, but
6: yeah, mm. yeah, but that's you know, you a know, great know, flick. Yeah, but like, like I say, you know, if you never know, and like I, I know that other guy, um, I don't know who it is. I think it's Televisa or something like that. His cover is a screen grab of the three chicks just hanging on the meat hooks. Mm-hmm. And it looks like he took it off one of those slow speed um, video treasures jobs because it was out on that for a while.
2: Okay. Maybe that's the print I seen then. It yeah, looks so good. The, it looked clean. I didn't see any uh, lines or anything, like resolution lines or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know
6: because the, the other one just came out about, I think it came out in March.
2: Because
6: mm-hmm. I picked up uh, 20 of them to sell at Wasteland and then I sold all 20 of them. So people want the damn thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But like I say, it's, just, it's overly critical bullshit about. You know, I'll, I'll give you one, and I'm overly critical about it too. Synapse did the Exterminator. Right? Yeah, they cleaned it up too much. I've heard exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I don't know what 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 the, the misnomer or what these people's problem is, but certain shit was cut in a certain way to make it work. And the only two things they had to put back in there with with were were the gore scenes they took out, there was mm-hmm. two of them. You know, the, the extended thing in the in the in the the beginning and the one where. Um, I think they they set that pedophile on fire. Yeah. 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 That's all you had to put in. Right about now, just the talking scenes look like an after-school TV movie. <laughs> it was too fucking clean. Yeah. And I actually, I watched it with Ken from Cinema Wasteland. We were over his house, and we both turned to each other and go, wow, this is really creepy. Yeah. And then when I left, I said, you know something? I don't have to buy that. I'll stick with the Anchor Bay copy because it's gritty and cut, but I don't give a shit. It works better. That's the one I've got is the Anchor Bay yeah. cut, so... They really don't understand that certain shit would... You know, what do you need the romantic subplot put back in there for? You know?
2: Well, there was already a little bit of that going on anyway in the original
6: cut, right? Yeah, that's all you needed is a little bit. You didn't need to expand on that whole thing. So basically what they did was they jacked... I don't even know what the running time is, but they jacked the movie that ran 89 minutes in a grindhouse to like 105 or 110 minutes. And it it looks like... You know, it it just plays like shit. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, you know, a lot of stuff, especially the Euro stuff, they hacked the crap out of it because it was violent and bloody.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
6: And, you know, I understand that because I used to get a lot of crap. Oh, well, how come you didn't see this? And how come you, didn't, you never talk about that? Because I didn't see it that way. Yeah. That's the way you people saw it on DVD. I saw it in the movies and it was cut. I mean, fuck. Last House on the Left was, was, was if, depending on what town you saw it in, it was a different version in every town mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. Because, like, yeah. that was another one He used to trail on the bottom of a double bill. And, like, you'd see it, like, I'll just throw an example. Toto in New Jersey. It'd be a whole whole different, you know, different fucking scene in there. You go see it somewhere else, and that scene be missing.
2: Yeah, I think I've seen, like, four or five different prints of Last House on the Left. And from what I understand, the the uh, projectionist would cut it, you know, oh, you yeah.
6: get the print. And then... I mean, I, I had a problem with Kinkaram I put out. Um... Not that I could do anything about it, but I guess the last segment in there was a piss scene. It's it, it, it's cut to shit. I mean, it looks like the projection has snipped stuff out. And and they would do that back in the day because they'd sell, sell those clips to, to collectors.
2: Now, the Kinko Rama, that's the one with the pirate, correct? Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I actually, I that was the first time I met you uh, at Cinema Wasteland, and you recommended that for me and my old lady. She didn't, uh, she didn't like it, but I loved it. So
6: <laughs> yeah, but you see what I'm talking about? That you know, those little snippets out of that, you
2: know. Mm-hmm. But now that was, um, that was put together from loops,
6: correct? Yeah, they they basically used the whole thing with uh, Gloria Leonard as a wraparound, and it was some one of them might have been a Lassie Brown loop. They're all saying it's Lassie Brown, but I don't think so.
2: Now, you when know, you got the print, like it was that that film was already complete. You didn't you didn't orchestrate that the the loops together, did you?
6: Oh no, that's the way that's the way it was showed. It was showed. Okay. Actually, it was showed at the Capri Theater on Eighth Avenue, like that. Mm-hmm. I even found I even found the original ad and screw. Wow, but that okay, that was a big deal. Yeah. You know?
2: Now. So. What, Let's go into like um, some of the theaters, because I'm not familiar with all of them, but uh, what, what's some of your favorite theaters on 42nd Street to uh, peruse back
6: then? Well, the Liberty was always good because it always had the Euro sleaze, you know, the cannibal flicks, the zombie flicks, the women in prison. Um, the Apollo was famous because Ilsa Schiebel for the SS used to run there a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, actually had security in that theater. For some reason. So it was a little the,
2: bit safer, or did you? Yeah. Okay.
6: Yeah. The ones that were really, you know, shit, the Antco was a complete fucking shithole. That was on the corner of 42nd and 8th. That was, uh, you know, a uh, haven for criminal activity. You know, they, they'd slice your, you know, if you fell asleep, they'd slice your pockets with a razor blade, and you'd rip your money off and shit. Wow. Um, I, I had a, I had a blade put to my throat one time when I was in there when I was younger and never went back in there again. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the thing, you know, they were were just showing shit. Um, That turned into a porno house toward the end, too, because they they, they were showing some karate and uh, some of this European spy shit. Basically, a lot of this stuff, what they would do is, see, people don't realize, too, is they, the movies changed on Wednesdays instead of Fridays Mm
7: -hmm.
6: back then. And even when I managed the drive-in, it was the same thing. And, you know, I think what it was was, especially with the drive-ins, we had to make sure the print, you'd watch the goddamn print. Because I went through, like, three prints of High High Plains Drifter before I gave up and realized it was just shot dark. Right. But, you know, uh, going back to the ANCO, I mean, you only had to show a movie twice to make make the tax obligation, and then, you could, you know, it was a tax write-off. Oh, okay. Okay. I see. But another thing was, if that movie ran Wednesday and Thursday and was doing sucky business, they could kick it out Friday and put something else in they knew it would work. And that was was another trick, too, because um, I got into discussion with... um, Rob Murawski from uh, Grindhouse Releasing, because they put pieces out. Yeah. And he had sent me the shot of a marquee, and he wanted to know what theater it was, and it was the Liberty. And he says, all right, why was The Hills Have Eyes on the double bill? I said, well, that would have made sense, because nobody knew what Pieces was, but they knew what The Hills Have Eyes were. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here you had a movie that, you know, was guaranteed to draw something, and another movie that was, you know, unproven. So everybody knew what the hills have. Ah, shit, that was a biggie on, on the deuce, too.
2: Yeah. So that's how they would draw people in, is they would get, like, something familiar, let's say, like, a Night of the Living Dead, and then and throw yeah. something new on there with it. Okay.
6: Yeah, because a lot of these guys, you know, like the Michigans, they, they you know, they used to do all, all the stuff with Milligan, you know, Fight for Your Life, and they come up with all these garish posters and garish ads and stuff like that to draw people in, and it would work. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever seen a Milligan film, you know what I'm talking about. Right, right. So, you know, uh... His his stuff, either love it or hate it. I mean, I got to give the guy, you know, an A for tenacity for just doing all this shit. But, you know, he's one of those guys. It's like there's some guys I just I can watch their shit to a certain extent. And he's one of them. Mm -hmm. But but then you watch Fleshpot on 42nd Street, which is another lost film. I don't even know who has that. I'd love to get a hold of that one. But. I like that film for the simple reason of the dialogue, because I've heard conversations like that. You know, who's hustling who, who's selling who's girlfriend, who's doing this, who's doing that. So that was, you know, a real good slice in New York. Unfortunately, there ain't a good print of it floating around. I, I wish I could get one, because I'd love to put that out.
2: Never was released on VHS, I take it, huh? Uh,
6: something Weird had it on VHS. Uh, it, was, it was also as Girls of 42nd Street. Mm-hmm. But I think it's missing the title.
2: Now, were were you involved with uh, something weird? Like I had heard that, like they, how the company started was they ran across a lot of old film prints in a warehouse or something like that, and they were going to get rid of everything. Or no, the
6: story, you know, there's a lot of stories. You know, I I met Mike at the conventions. You know, he used to do Chiller Theater and stuff. You know, and you know, God's honest truth, you know, most of these guys started out as bootleggers. Mm -hmm. And what happened was. I guess he was doing something to Dave Friedman's and Friedman found out about it and called him up and he turned the tables on Dave. He goes, Mr. Friedman, I've been trying to get in touch with you. I want to put your stuff out. Well, the story about the Prince was that Frank Lauder went to pick up a copy of Basket Case at a film depot in New York. And the guy told him that two weeks, the wrecking ball is going to hit this thing. So he called Mike Rainey and they got tractor trailers down there and they cleaned it out. And they that's where the whole gold mine was. Okay. Yeah. You know, if that 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 story is true, which I'm assuming it is, because Frank had told me, but they had a plethora of stuff. I mean, actual found they found negatives to things, all kinds of stuff.
2: Yeah, I've heard uh, Frank talk about that in interviews, and that's kind of where I heard parts of the story. So,
6: yeah, mm. but you know, they got a ton of the stuff, and then you know, D- you know, Dave was the guy who opened the door for Mike mm-hmm. because you know, Dave's D- if Dave said to do it, people would do it. Yeah. Dave had that kind of power, you know, and I miss him terribly. He was he was a great guy, you know, a great influence on me. Um, he mentored a lot of us, you know. He, he he taught us how to do things the right way, you know. And you know, Dave was a hustler. Dave was a huckster. You know, he had a carnival too for a while. Oh wow, okay. Oh yeah, he with, was with a big a freak car- show. Or? Yeah, he take it on the road. He had, you know a carnival. He take on the road. He mm-hmm. he was big on that stuff. Yeah. You know, you know, his thing was, you know, he 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 was fascinated by the whole thing because he saw, you know, a farmer lose, you know, six months' wages, you know, with the shell games. So, you know, it transcended into films because, you know, they would get, you know, the cops would show up and raid one of their. Oh yeah, while you're here, why don't you want you want to be in the movie? We can use somebody like you, this and that. So he could fucking sweet talk anybody. He was great,
2: true hustler.
6: Then. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, he inspired you know Hen and Lauder, you know, big time. You know uh, anything you wanted to know about shit that was going on? Call Dave
7: because mm-hmm.
6: you know the whole the whole thing with the snuff films—whether they're real or not real—that um, the that whole deal supposedly was created by the Catholic Church. Really? Like the what propaganda? Happened, or? Yeah. And yeah. then what happened was these guys made you know, as far as they they say, pseudo snuff films. Yeah. You know, and then but there was you know I, I saw something and I'm hard pressed to say it wasn't real. Yeah. You know, people go, well, you claim you were drunk when I saw it. I said, yeah, but I was never that drunk because that would have been stupid because when you're that drunk, you're a target. Yeah. But I saw something and it cost me seventy five cents, three quarters worth. And I know the guys in the booth because we all squeezed in because we said, yeah, right. And it was like, okay, it's hard to fake sticking a fucking serrated steak knife up a chick's pussy and start sawing outward. But that's what I saw. So Yeah, I've heard
2: rumors about, like, some of these peep booths, there's, like, uh, especially Asian-oriented stuff of, like, women yeah. being stabbed with ice picks and all kinds of... And they
6: look like they're, you know, on something, so they don't even know where they're at or whatever, so... Yeah, you, you never know. I mean, you know, they're, they're saying it wasn't, but I, I've heard enough stories where people have picked stuff up and, you know, lots of 8mm where they saw something really fucked up and then threw it out. I'm like, why'd you throw it out? Mm-hmm. You know? But... You know, according to Dave, they had made a bunch of this shit. Start, start, you know, go from crossroad books to blackjack books to another shithole, you know, passport authority. So they made the rounds. But, so who do you think was
2: putting this stuff out? Like, was this like a mob ties or, or, or what? Is this
6: criminal organizations well, or? Uh, the whole thing was, you know, the mob was involved to a certain extent. But I don't think, you know, the deal was that they had to kick back a quarter per reel sold in the five boroughs. Mm-hmm. And a quarter don't sound like much, but you're talking 70s money. And when you figure 10,000 loops a week were sold in Manhattan alone, that's a lot of money. Yeah. The, the mob thing came in with um, Deep Throat, Devil and Miss Jones, because that was the Perugino family. And, you know, they basically, you know, that was the mob, which was also Branston Pictures.
2: Now, did they run any of these theaters as well? or? Um, They had
6: their big thing was massage parlors. Mm hmm. And you know the you know they they had the peep emporiums like I think Show World was you know these these big what they did was see Show World actually improved the neighborhood because it made it a, it was a clean place to go it was all you know uh, for Mike in stainless steel as opposed to the creaky wooden floors with the sawdust and shit
2: the sawdust to catch the cum I take it yeah huh? exactly yeah. <laughs>
6: yeah so that sort of upgraded upgraded the area you know but no that was still it, it, it was it was mob money you know I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. And, you know, guys were around. They were making collections and stuff. And, uh, you know, the papa of the peeps was this guy, Marty Hodas. And, you know, he, he invented the peep machine out of mm-hmm. these Nickelodeons. And nobody wanted to try this in the beginning. But once they got in, all of a sudden the mob wanted in. And in him making a deal with the mob, you know, from what I was told and from what I've read, it got him places. Because, you know, people said, you know, about, even out here in Ohio now, people said, well, you know, they used to come out here and do stuff, and Ruben Sturman was out here. But I know for a fact, I ran into guys who used to clean out these machines, and they said they came out to Ohio to clean out the machines and get the money. Mm-hmm. Basically, they were supplying Chemical Bank in New York with their quarters. Wow. Because one guy used to roll around with a steamer trunk with wheels on it and a baseball bat and empty all these machines out. Then they go to Chemical Bank and turn them in and turn into cash. So, they were like laundering the money, then I take it? or Oh, no, I don't, I don't no, I'm not laundering the money. Just they yeah. had to, you know, how, how do you pay your employees in quarters, you know?
7: Mm-hmm.
6: You had to turn it in. What happened was somebody came up with a token, that octagon coin, because, you know, the junkies would go into the people boots with a screwdriver and try to pry it open and shit.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: So, to alleviate that, these guys came up with, you know, the coin in the realm was, you know, if you wanted to go into show world, you had to pay a dollar and you got four tokens. Right. So, right. everything became tokens. So now so. That,
2: that changed the face of the game, then, I take it, pretty much. Yeah, because
6: huh? it used to be all quarters, but like I said, you know, these guys were, were wrecking the machines, breaking into them and stuff, so now if they broke into them, they got a handful of tokens that were useless.
2: <laughs> they could just so. watch more movies with them then, basically, huh?
6: Yeah, pretty much, but, you know, like I said, Show World was state-of-the-arts, and then a, a bunch of other ones opened up, like, you know, and, show, and the Show World token was the coin of the realm. I mean, there was a little shitty, still little shitty ones floating around, but all got incorporated, and like I said, you know, the Peruginos, you know, Deep Throat, Devil and Miss Jones, and they formed Branston Pictures, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, and Dracula, The Human Factor, and then fucking, they thought they could do that with everybody, and and the weird part was they did it as a tax dodge, figuring these movies were going to lose money, but they didn't, Mm -hmm. and they never paid anybody, and that's how the IRS got on their ass. So was think, that what
2: brought down the mob, or what? Like the
6: movies, nah, you think, or? Nah, not really. That that was just what brought down those two guys. I th- I think the father got killed. He was he was taken out in a hit. Uh, the guy who was basically the protector of 42nd Street was a guy named um, what the hell was his name? Oh shit! He he was he was the guy that Sammy Gravano admitted to killing. I'm trying to think, cause go. You know, he was the one who got Goldstein. The hit, the hit, it was a hit on Al Goldstein for a while that um, uh, Gotti put out. Was and Al,
2: he, like, putting stuff in his magazine,
6: like a bottom? Yeah, you know, he, or... he, you know, he, he was just saying, you know, Al was Al, but the whole thing yeah. was Al was making these guys money because he was reviewing their shit. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this guy got the hit pulled off. Mm-hmm. But he was, i trying to think of his fucking name. Rob D or something like I don't know you know, uh, but he he was a very dapper guy and he took he took care of that whole thing that was his job,
3: mm-hmm.
6: so you know and everybody respected him but I, I who the hell knows you know yeah that that's there's no retirement in that type of thing <laughs> right their, their big you know their, their big thing was massage parlors too now you they
2: frequented didn't... a lot of these or oh, of course yeah
6: yeah had to
2: so how did that how how did that work you went in. And then you well, had to say something to get. Oh, no, well, you're,
6: you're basically everybody knew what the fuck it was. <clears> you know, there was a couple scams, too. There was like model studios and shit like that. But the bottom line is you went in, you paid a fee at the door. You went in some, you know, shitty room with some chick. You got naked and basically, uh, depending on what she wanted, you got blown for 10 bucks. You had to kick her back 10 bucks or something.
2: And that's it. No, no real sexual acts. or. Anything well, depending
6: like on, on what you wanted to do. Most of it was blowjobs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that was quick and easy. Um, my thing was the dating room. Cause that was you know, the one right in the corner of 42nd and 8th. And I went in there and it was like, I met the hooker with the heart of gold because I didn't realize the whole tipping thing. Cause I was like 17 years old and shit, hmm. you know? So she basically did me for eight bucks. And I said, well, I'll, I'll take care of her. And I come back. Cause I was working for a sweater warehouse and I clipped a couple sweaters. So that made him know I was all right. Yeah, yeah. Bring gifts but, then. <laughs> but everyone was everything had a hook. One was this old hotel with the hook—the hookers man the elevators. You picked a girl, went in the elevator with her, you went up on on you know to a room, and that was it. Another one had uh, six fully pitched pup tents, <laughs> just perfect for the Times Square outdoorsman. Mm-hmm. And then there was, uh, let's see, there was a bunch of Cupid's Retreat, uh, Holiday Hostesses. There was one on Fourteenth Street that actually. It, it lasted up until the 90s for some reason. It was just, uh, you know, no name. You went up and it was all Spanish chicks.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: And, you know, they were exceedingly polite for some reason. <laughs> yeah, That's But awesome. they rush. I, I, there's an infamous story where some chick bit my dick and I threw her off me. And then the, the bouncers were running toward me and I threw a fucking bench like knee level and they tripped over it. And I went down the fucking back fire escape and shit.
2: I take it they were probably going to do you some great bodily harm. Yeah. Huh? Well, you know what the hell. I, you
6: know, I, I made the mistake of arguing with a hooker with my dick in her mouth, and I got bit. So. <laughs> and the funny part was the guy I was with didn't know what the fuck happened. Just figured I left, and he. I ran into the next day. And he goes, oh, you hear? You, what did you do? Take off?" And I go, "Yeah, I was hired to away." He goes, "Oh, you should have been here. Some guy took out two of the fucking bouncers." I go, "Really?" I'm like, "Oh, fuck." <laughs> <laughs>
2: that was you, right? <laughs>
6: yeah. Yeah. I wasn't stupid. These guys were big, and they had blood in their eye. I'm like, I'm just pulling my pants up and running toward the fucking door.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good times. So
2: I guess uh, I've got a few questions here. Like, What, what was the uh, sleaziest film you, you've seen on uh, 42nd Street?
6: Um, there was something called San Francisco Ball which was a softcore porn It was really unnerving because it was a rape-type thing where they kidnapped two girls, they raped them, and then called in for the ransom. Then when the girl showed up with the ransom, they raped her, and they were slicing them up with switchblades and shit. Mm-hmm. And, like, these guys are just standing around. They're, they're limp with no pants on. Their legs are all streaked with blood, and the girls are laying on the floor, you know, streaked with blood, and one of them dies and shit. So that was a little fucked up. Yeah. Another one was forced entry, and we all know about forced entry. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know if I have to explain that one or not. <laughs>
2: so, are you uh, are you a fan of the Ruffies? Then
6: I take it, or you know, it's like I'll, I'll watch anything, and it's like you know, I wasn't back then because I was more into like you know, hot chicks and shit like that. But you know, now it's like uh, you know, the Avon stuff, which was you know that that was you know the early '80s, and that was like really fucking you know nasty shit, taming a Rebecca, uh, Neil before me, things like that. Um, you know, it's taboo and I liked it and it, you know, I like to put it out because people like it, especially like the bondage loops and the roughy loops and shit.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: Cause uh, you know, I, I don't want to put anything generic out, you know, I, I want to give people that cheap thrill, that visceral thing. So, and I developed a fondness for the Avon shit because this was, you know, the worst of the worst
7: mm-hmm.
6: and you know, it, it, you know, it actually fucking worked, you know, and those, George Payne was so over the top, and of course, you know everybody knows about Phil Prince, that crazy director and shit. And then uh, I'm friendly with Carter Stevens; he did a few of them. Um, not so much Sean Costello because he, he did Forced Entry. He claims that you know he never did an Avon film, but Forced Entry was distributed by, by Variety Films, which was Chelly Wilson, which was fucking Avon. Mm-hmm. So how can you tell me it was not an Avon film?
2: Now Costello, he um, he was a
6: performer too, as well, right? He was he was a loop performer. Okay. And he also did some other stuff, too. As a matter of fact, I got a loop that nobody else has, and I'll let the cat out of the bag right here. Lucy Graham from Last House on the Left is in it. Oh, wow. Okay. Our poor loop, and she's blowing Sean Costello. Wow. Doesn't say much for taste in men, but what the fuck. And this but is see, a, I think it's I want... like a lost loop, then? Well, see, I got this this thing. It's... It's down there it can be done i am call it the Kings and queens of New York porn mm-hmm. and I want to throw that one on as an extra because this this if I do it it's going to be a 30 loop collection it's got Vanessa, Jamie Gillis, Tina Russell um, Jason Russell, Honeysuckle Divine you know mostly strictly New York people
7: mm-hmm.
6: so you know and I've I, you know I, I got history with Vanessa she was in my first interview. I did a one-woman show with her before I left New York, which unfortunately only drew 14 fucking people, which tells you why I left New York.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah.
6: So you can't draw with Vanessa in, in a 90-seat venue on a Wednesday night. It's over.
2: Well, Vanessa, she does um, – I've seen recently – because I've got her on, on my friends list on Facebook. She still does, um, like, live internet cam stuff. so She's still active,
6: huh? Oh, yeah. She's – you know, she, she raises – she's got French bulldogs. She was supposed to do Wasteland, but she blew it off because of the dogs. You know, she had yeah. to take care of the dogs, so –
2: that's awesome, man, that she does yeah. that.
6: Yeah, that's, there's a lot of money in that. Though. No, I mean, she's, she's good people, you know. But, you know, the whole thing with point – we had a problem with Jamie Gillis because he wouldn't commit to go up there. Of course, we didn't know he was dying at the time.
2: Mm-hmm. He had cancer, correct? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
6: But he never let on. It was like, you know, he wouldn't commit to it. And then, you know, these guys, you know, they're, they're all mercenary because they've all been ripped off. Mm-hmm. And you know Venice is the same way, and I can't blame them. You know, I'm trying to explain though. You know, a horror convention ain't the same as same as a porn convention. People will spend money. Just treat them right. You know.
2: No, you guys got um uh Jamie out to a uh, cinema wasteland before he passed yeah. away, correct? Mhm. What did that take? Was it just uh there's fans that are interested in meeting you? You know, do this or?
6: Well, we did. We were doing the grindhouse stuff at the Pioneer, which was the last freestanding you know theater in Manhattan, and. We did a porn night. Actually, we did two. Well, the first one, somebody got a hold of Jamie. He came down for a couple bucks, and basically, we planted him in the audience. I was doing something that was only supposed to last 15 minutes, and I wound up lasting like almost 40 minutes, because mm-hmm. everybody was asking me questions and shit, and then I brought Jamie up, and he did a, he did a Q&A for about 40 minutes, and then Ken asked me about you know bringing him to Wasteland, but you know, like I said, he wouldn't commit till you know the 11th hour, and we found out why. Mm-hmm. Because I, I had him hooked up with another gig in Missouri, and we, you know, we emailed him. We said, "Well, Seeker's is going to be there." And he goes, "You know, I had I, I had a great time out in Ohio, and I really loved hanging out with you guys. But I think my convention days are over." And two weeks later, I got an email. He was dead.
2: Now that was his first convention,
6: correct? Or- yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he did all right. You know, it was like you know, he, the fans loved him. He was you know, he was amicable. You know, and you know, we had a good time. We, we didn't know he was sick. Now we he really was still know.
2: performing. To- for quite a while there, in the, the later
6: years, right? Yeah, I think he was just—he was hooked up with somebody who owned a restaurant. And he was basically retired. I don't think he was doing anything, you know, as far as you know, work. Mm-hmm. I mean, he might—you know—might have been appearing in a couple, con- you know, porn conventions here and there. But uh, he was a nice guy. I mean, I—I I liked him. I you mean, know, a lot of people shit on him in the industry and said he was this and that and the other thing. But you know, none of us are fucking normal because we're involved in this. You know, mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to. Well, nobody's perfect either. So. No, I, mean, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actors are actors because they want attention. Right. I, I can't say the same for myself because I've been in a couple things. But yeah, when the camera's on, I fucking light up. I go nuts, you know, so. And it's not that I ever aspired to do it either. It just happened.
2: Well, I think you do a really good job. I mean, just with. I've I've only got Kinkorama, but I know you did the uh, opening uh, intro and stuff. And uh, I thought you did a really good job. So. Oh, thank you.
6: Mm. You know, I try to do stuff. I try to throw you know a little humor in it, a little history. You know, I try to make it interesting. You know, because that's what that's what I said. You know, if somebody goes, well, everybody's done this. I said, yeah, but the first loop collection I did, I said nobody ever did a backstory to this thing. This is this is the great great grandfather of what we have today. Yeah, yeah. You know, and people never you know acknowledge that shit and never gave any backstory of it. Have you
2: ever thought about um, doing, like, a 42nd Street documentary? I know there's been a few out. I
6: think, was it River to River or something like I'm that came that. out? I'm on that one.
2: Are you? Okay. I haven't seen yeah. that one yet. I've been wanting to check that one out for sure. So. Yeah, I'm
6: on that one. There's another one this guy, uh, Callum Waddell, did. Um, that's uh, 42nd Street uh, Memories, uh, The Rise and Fall of America's Most Notorious Block. Mm-hmm. And he came over from Scotland to do it. And I, you know, went over there and was interviewed by him as well as a bunch of other people. So um, somebody else, you know, everybody's doing one, you know, and it's like, you know, I wish that I had taken pictures back in the day or at least drove up and down the damn street with a camcorder sticking out the window. But I never did because, you know, we never thought it would end. Yeah, we honestly did. We never thought it was going to end.
2: So what, what, what date marks the downfall of 42nd Street? Because I know I've heard you talk that it's like all Disney theaters and everything, and Giuliani cleaned it up or whatever. Oh, the whatever. complete
6: death knell, the end? To 2003. 2003. Right after, right after 9-11. I mean, there was still a couple things left, but three things happened in 2003, that it was the end of it. Uh, number one, screw folded up. Number two, the last peep show on 42nd Street folded up, and the guy I worked for, New York City Liquidators, died. So that was the end. Mm-hmm. That was it. I mean, it, everybody goes, well, you'd think it would ever come back? I, I, what the fuck for, unless you had a time machine. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Maybe somebody makes a theme park or something, a 42nd Street Well, you theme know what park. it was? There was a bunch of promises made, and I got in almost an argument with Jeff Lieberman on a panel about this whole thing because he's friends with Giuliani. We were told we could relocate it down by the river, you know, like a no man's land, like a combat zone. <laughs> and it didn't happen. And the whole thing was, OK, I can blame Giuliani because he was rabid for this. But, you know, the death knell was home video, the AIDS epidemic and crack.
3: Yeah.
6: And more more of home video because, you know, who is going to go to these theaters when you could just rent the damn thing?
2: Yeah, and I've heard you talk about the dangers of the theaters. Are just safer to stay home. So
6: yeah, it was nuts in the seventies, but you know, with the you know with that plethora of fucking drugs in the eighties, you know, with PCP starting it off and then you know crack down the middle of the road. I mean, you know, Port Authority used to be was open twenty four hours. They closed it at one o'clock in the morning. Getting too so dangerous, nuts. huh? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they were just using the whole age things to close all the adult theaters. They went for the gays first. And then the gay cruising scene shifted to some, you know, the straight theaters. And what the the, the town would do is they put undercover cops in the audience, and then document, you know, sex acts, and then use that to close the theater down.
7: So they said the Venus, the Venus huh. people
6: just came in and said, "That's it, go home. No fanfare, no nothing. Just leave peacefully. That's it." They they were just closing them down one after another.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: That was it. Um, they kept. You know, a couple of them they restored them, like the New Amsterdam and a few other ones. But pretty much, they they demolished everything. Now, Which is really there st- any
2: theaters left in New York that that still show porn and
6: sleazy films, or any any uh, like grindhouse esque theaters? Or we were doing it with the Pioneer in the summer of two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. We we call it the summer of sleaze. We basically had standing room only almost every fucking time we did something. But they raised the rent to twenty five thousand a month. And it's only a 99-seat theater. So. Yeah. yeah. So that was the end of that. So we tried to relocate it. We tried to find a place. But, you know, real estate's expensive down there. Yeah.
3: yeah. I
6: heard there's some shit going on in Brooklyn where guys are doing screenings and stuff. But I'm not there anymore. So mm-hmm. it's the only ones that I know. It's a shame, too, because, you know, out, out in California, the New Beverly, um, in Texas, the Alamo Draft House, um, there's one down here in Pittsburgh they do some stuff in so a couple of guys are still keeping it going but you know it's it's sad
2: yeah California they had is it in LA or they had their own little 42nd street there
6: for a while right yeah Hollywood Boulevard or something yeah. but you know I know guys that went out there and, and said it's small we you know the whole the whole LA you know area is small and I said it ain't like New York and I said yeah New York was one huge living breathing entity that stretched for like 10 blocks in either direction mm-hmm. there was always something going on. And now it's just a bunch of tourist traps and shit. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean
6: there's still there's still Show World got moved down the block and it's just, you know, another video store. I mean they're just, you know, adult video stores just popping here and there and the other thing. No big whoop. There's still peep shows. There's still go go bars, you know?
2: They're just scattered about, I take yeah. it. Not there, one there's no real area. you know, there's no
6: real porn theater, so to speak or anything like that anymore.
2: Would you like to see something like that start up again, or I know you're in Ohio now. Maybe something in Cleveland or.
6: <laughs> well, you know, we, when we ran when we ran the porn thing, there was more women in the audience than men. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was nice, but you know, again, you know, you, you, a lot of what killed the two was the video projection too, and, and porn going shot on video because it looked like shit.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: And as far as porn shot shot on HD, it still looks like shit because you see every pimple and every blemish too.
3: Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So,
6: yep. And you know what guys don't understand is. The guys that were doing this shit back in the day, they were tapped into the psyche because if you notice that most of the guys except for John Holmes were weren't really big. Mm-hmm. So and they were dumpy like, you know, Arbola, uh, Dave Ruby, who was a bit, bit of a muscle guy, but he looked nondescript. Um, even Gillis to a certain extent. You know, these guys were non threatening. Mm-hmm. You know, here you got Rocco Saffredi with his eighteen inch cock, you know, and like how do I compete with that? right right it's all these guys are hung like fucking bears all these chicks are like no vanessa said it right out they're all cookie cutter blondes you can't aside from the tattoos you can't tell one from the other so it's sort of lost it's you know back alley ambiance to me they cleaned it up another thing they cleaned up too much you know Mm -hmm. i mean i don't i couldn't watch current porn it fucking bores me i sell it on the internet but it's like you know i get a box of shit and just throw it out there that's all so is
2: that what's been keeping you going these days? Is just like getting uh, lots of DVDs and selling them, or I know you run a website, right, uh, where you where you deal uh uh prints?
6: No, I just stuff? I just sell on eBay. I, I don't have the ambition to do a lot of shit. See, I used to I was I was a hustler back in the day, and I I had like a video store. I had flea markets. I was always doing something. Mm-hmm. So you know the whole internet sucks to me because it's it's you know impersonal and shit. Like I was usually doing things one on one. Now with the, the internet fees, the fact that you know eBay and PayPal will turn you into the IRS once you hit a certain figure, which mm-hmm. I did, so it's pretty fucked up. Really is. They turned you into the IRS, really? <clears throat> well, they turn everybody into the IRS. They oh. send them a thing. You know, I, not that I didn't pay my taxes, but you know, I don't need you know I don't need them sending the IRS you know my information either. You know. Right, right. Yeah. I'm on the up and up with all this shit. You know, ain't like you can do anything anymore, but. Um, you know, I, it, it's tough because, you know, I, I thought, you know, I, I could, you know, live not live off the royalties, but it would right. supplement things. But, you know, the thing, too, is um, with these conventions, you don't know, get booked. You have to buy a table. I mean, you've been to Wasteland. I don't know yeah. if you saw my presentation. Um, but every time I do a panel up there, I have standing room only in the fucking room. And that's mm-hmm. a room that holds 200 people. Yeah. So my question is, why wouldn't another promoter want to bring me in and work some kind of deal with me? But they don't, for some reason. Yeah. So, I mean, granted, I've had issues with Chiller Theater and Monster Mania. That's all been documented and shit. But, you know, they're not what I do anymore. They're autograph shows. And I, I call, you know, Monster Mania a bubblegum show because it's all pop culture. You know, it's not the grindhouse stuff. You know, every once in a while they might have somebody. But, you know, having Robert England, you know, every other show isn't working for me. Right, so, yeah. I mean, I'm not knocking anybody who puts on a show because everybody, you know, it takes a lot of work to put on a show. What I do knock is people that knock other shows without even going to them. Like, there was a big thing where somebody was really pissing on Cinema Wasteland, and it's like, have you ever been to the show? No. Well, how fucking you say that?
7: Mm-hmm.
6: You know? There's it, just some organizations that feel they're better than everybody, and everybody else sucks, and, like, Cinema Wasteland is not looking to go out of Ohio, is not looking to run in other states and shit like that. We do two shows a year. It's a specialty thing because, you know, Ken tries not to bring back the same old guests. We try to have different fucking people. It's the only convention that I know of that there's something going on from the minute you walk in the door to the minute you leave. It's 61 hours of programming for the whole fucking weekend. I mean, who gives you that for, you know, the price of admission?
2: Right, exactly. I mean, if you don't want to spend money, you can at least go and sit wa- watch movies or do the yeah. Q&A. That was my first convention, actually, and uh, I had a blast, so. <clears throat>
6: Yeah, I'm trying to think. What, uh, what did did you see my panel when I did it?
2: No, I actually I was only able to come down Friday. It was uh, that was the David Hess uh, uh, show there, um, and yeah, I, I didn't get to see your your panel, but I did get to watch it on YouTube.
6: So okay, yeah, that was the one with Ginger, right? Um, was
2: that it? was I'm ta- I'm talking uh, last April was uh was the show oh, that with, with I did. was there. Dado, yeah, was okay. there. Yeah.
6: Did I just do a solo panel then? I'm trying to think.
2: I can't remember exactly. I know I watched. I, I checked the video out on YouTube, but it's it's been a while. So, but it was the one where you stomped the phone. I think.
6: Yeah, it might have been a solo panel. Yeah. We, were, we we were doing something because what happened was, the first time I did it, I had Gar- Gary Kent and Ted Michaels mm-hmm. and that, that worked out well. So the second time it was, um, it was Dave Friedman, Dave Hewitt, and Jeff Lieberman. Then it was, um, let me see. It was Jamie Gillis, Bill Greffy, and uh, Lynn Lowry. Mm -hmm. But I remember there was one prior to that where he was doing the Texas Chainsaw 25th anniversary thing. And there was nobody for me to interview. But prior to that, Jason Martinko had me in the room with a camcorder, and I was completely shit-faced. And I probably said a lot of shit I shouldn't have said on tape, but he sent me the damn DVD. And I'm like, you know something? If this wasn't me, I'd be interested. (laughs) So... I called up Ken, and I said, you know, this might work, and I sent it to him, and then we came up with the whole Tales from Times Square deal, (laughs) so we did it the first time, and then we did it a second time, and the last time, um, we had Seek up there, but I honestly couldn't think of anything to do with her, you know, that would go an hour, so then everybody's like so hot on this VHS thing, and being that, you know, I was wheeling and dealing VHS for a good number of years, and Ken was one of the first guys who started the rent-by-mail thing, so... We figured fuck it, you know, why not go with that? And we did it. we had standing room only again.
7: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
6: So that worked out. So how long have you been doing the uh, cinema wasteland show
2: since since they've started or
6: No, uh, it took a while for me to get up there. I, I was one of those guys that I really didn't leave I really didn't leave the, the East Coast that much and mm-hmm. then uh, after the you know, the shit with Monster Mania and stuff and I was always invited up, I came up as a fan for one, and actually the one I came up was with the night of the blackout. Okay. The infamous blackout when the power went out at eleven o'clock. Mm-hmm. Everybody just partied till at dawn. So the next time I came up, I bought a table and I did okay. And then we started talking about, you know, doing something. So we, you know, we put together these panels and shit and I've been doing it ever since. So I'd say for maybe the last, so we're going on for 10 years. So I'd say maybe the last five or six years I've been coming up. Mm-hmm. And now just you live in Ohio. So yeah, I, just, I yeah, I moved up here. Property was better, you know.
2: So how do you like Ohio? Are you digging it or?
6: Oh, yeah. I mean, there was honestly, there was nothing left for me to do down there. Every, everything was becoming too much. You know, all the venues were closing up. I mean, you know, uh, really couldn't make a living down there at all. Mm-hmm. So it's one of these things where, like, I'm going to be 60 in September, and I'm just, I just want to get by with doing minimal, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm probably going to try to finish writing my book. I'm just waiting for uh, a couple things financially to happen that are owed to me so I, you know, see where I'm at with that, whether I can, you know, a month. I mean, I can't do eBay, eBay forever, and I'm just mm-hmm. hoping that, you know, things lighten up or my, my line will start selling again. Yeah, I think and the he, book
2: route might be better for you because I know, yeah, you can bootleg books, but it's like, it's not something that's, you know. They did that all. to the
6: CinemaSour guy. They fucked him, too.
2: The Cinemageddon did that or just oh, yeah, foreign yeah.
6: sites in general? Cinemageddon did it. They, you know, that's yeah. the problem. You know, it's bad enough you steal, but when, you know, you, you just walk up to the guy you're stealing from and stick the bird in his face, that's fucking bullshit, you know. Yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah so I don't know, but you know, I'm not done yet. I mean, I still got my radio show. we still do that, uh you know, people want to be on, you know, and you know, another thing too, you don't make any money doing this as you well know mm-hmm. so but you know, the show works. I mean Gary Kent'll tell you he sold he sold a bunch of books after he was on uh WSU women' superstars uncensored'll tell you that they got a lot more fans as I had those girls on going crazy and shit.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, I've heard those episodes. Uh. Yeah,
6: Sid's been on a couple times, uh, Ted Michaels has been on, uh, you know, I hate doing tribute shows, but we had Hen and on for the Friedman, you know, the Friedman tribute, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, we've had Georgia Spellman on, Georgina Spellman on, and she don't do interviews, so. Yeah,
2: I've noticed that, I, I really enjoyed that interview, so a lot of insight into that uh, that whole porn,
6: yeah. porn area, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's tough to get people to do it, but, you know, we get a few people on. And then people want to hear me go fucking nuts every once in a while, so. <laughs> well, I love that. your
2: political rants. <laughs> uh, I like your uh, point of view and stuff
6: like that, so. Yeah, something's got to change. I mean, that, that whole deal with my friend dying because of a medical fuck-up and then finding out, that, you know, over the last five or six years I've lost seven friends due to medical fuck-ups, and now I don't have any medical insurance because they almost killed me. Yeah, So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know I'm looking for I go I go to a chiropractor I go to an acupuncturist that's it Why, what am I going to pay these bastards eight hundred dollars a month for so they can fucking kill me you know right yeah and the fucked up part was I was told when I try to get insurance up here too it was like well how long have you been cancer free I go oh maybe five or six years I go well we can't insure you until it's ten years oh gee well ten years I'll be sixty five <laughs> <laughs> you know? it's like I don't even want uh, yeah. to know that- yeah point you know it don't make a lot of sense yeah no nothing they're doing makes a lot of sense we're the only country in the world that makes money off people being sick <clears throat> you know yeah and we make money keeping them sick too
2: well come up to michigan man we got medical marijuana i up was here. up there last week where are you really
6: okay motor city nightmares i was up there oh awesome okay yeah mm. that was uh that was a nice little show too i didn't you know really you know it was you know i didn't have a table i had like four boxes on the end of ken's table you know i Basically made enough to pay for my going up there and stuff, but it was a, it was a you know, and though a lot of people up there, a lot of people come down to uh, Wasteland, so. Mm-hmm. And then you know, Sid was there, Bill Mosley, Ken Free, uh Mike Berryman it was like old homie. It was like a family reunion. Kyle, yeah. When right? yeah. I mean, you fucking when you've been doing this since like uh, I started doing this in ninety, you know, you you run into everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know?
2: Well, That Man. Motor City Nightmares, that's very similar to uh, the Cinema Wasteland show, as far as like real tight knit and uh, family oriented, I guess. Well, not family oriented, but you know what I mean. It's a, well, they, they get a younger cruise.
6: crowd than we do because we're, we're celebrating like you know the '50s to you know the mid '80s. They're they're you know, you know they're, they're they're you know they're bringing in different things. You know, every show has to find its own identity. I mean, every every a lot of people want to be Cinema Wasteland, but you're not. You know, it's that whole back alley ambience we got going there. You know.
2: Very much so, very much so, yeah. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, one thing I want to touch upon, I guess, uh, uh, before we roll out here is, um, and we, you mentioned Al Goldstein. Now, did you write for Screw for a while, or...?
6: I wrote for them for a couple issues after they tried to resurrect it.
2: Okay, all right.
6: Was, and I got was Al
2: involved with the resurrection?
6: No, no, not at all. I think a couple of the employees took it over. One guy thought he was going to be out, and he wasn't. And he started... I was writing for maybe six guys back then. You know, not that I was getting paid or anything, but he he wanted it a certain way, and I said, "Why?" And he goes, "That's the way I want it." I says, "Well, that ain't the way I do it." Mm -hmm. So there was something um, they wanted me to write up the Paris Hilton DVD. So I wrote it up. Yeah, the guy runs it back and he goes, "It's not mean spirited enough. (laughs) Wrong thing to say to me." I sent it in there like, "We can't publish this." I said, "You're (laughs) screw." I forget where I put it. It was up... It might have been on... It might even still be on uh, the 42nd Street Pete website. You know, 42ndstreetpete.com. Okay. That, you know, after hours, I "I really haven't put nothing up there in a while. You know, you you get involved with the radio. You know, you can't be all over the place. I mean, I I had to knock it down. You want to do the radio show or you want to write? Which I actually still want to write, but nobody wants to pay me, so I don't get paid for the radio show, and it's no effort on my part, so fuck it, you know? I mean, it is an effort to put something together, but not when you sit down and write something. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I, I did a couple things for them and, uh, you know, didn't get paid because they, they ran out of money. I think they, you know, they I, they owed me X amount of dollars and I got like a pittance of it. But, you know, the killing part was I got my name on the masthead for one issue, which was good, which I still have. And uh, unfortunately, they crashed and burned and uh we were trying to buy it. Nobody really knows who owns the name. And it, I, I know Al is not in good shape. I think he had a stroke. He's... uh He's in the VA over in Manhattan, and I don't think he's doing too well, <clears throat> which is a shame. That's too bad. And, uh, you know, people shit on Al, too, but Al was never anything but nice to me. Mm-hmm. Not that I had any business. When I ran into him, you know, we always hung out. We always bullshitted. Um, that big thing in New York when they got under under in under Giuliani's nose, that sexpo thing. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting there, and he goes, look at this. This is a classy event. He goes, there's nothing here sleazy. Then he stops. He goes, except me and you. <laughs> So that was cool.
7: Well, but, you just, know, when I
6: first started writing, they allowed me access to the offices, all the back issues and shit. So I think I said I got nothing bad to say about Al. If it wasn't for Al, you know, the, the sex industry in New York would have fucking crashed and burned, I think, because screw was screw was your, your guide. You know, Yeah, you could find hookers and stuff through there. Right. Oh yeah, At the ads in there. They, you know, they reviewed the massage power. They, they, you know, it was, it was your guide to anything sexual in Manhattan. Mm hmm. And, you know, it was great. And I, I have, you know, a whole collection of back issues, so. Which, you know, it's newspaper, but there's stuff in there, and there's information in there you're not going to find anywhere else. That's what it comes down to.
2: Is there pictures of the marquees and stuff like that as well, or?
6: Some of them, but not a lot, you mm-hmm. know. It, it's just, like I said, you know, hindsight's wonderful. I I wish I had, you know, the hindsight of, to have taken a bunch of pictures over here, which I didn't. Yeah, and everybody's going. Oh, we need footage. We need footage. Well, the only way you're gonna get it is you're probably gonna have to lift it off some films and hope nobody knows. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like Shaft and uh, oh, what the hell was the other one? New York Ripper had some stuff in there, and uh, some of the porns even you know that was shot in New York even had marquees and shit. So yeah, yeah. Well, I know I mean,
2: Nightmare and a Damaged Brain shows a little bit too as well. So yeah. Now, what, 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 uh, what, what, um, it was a peep booth or whatever that guy goes into. Is that a famous one? It looked, for, it looked like the one in, um, Night of the Juggler, Juggler. I don't know if you've seen that before.
6: Yeah. I haven't seen that in a while. I haven't seen nightmares. I think he went into show world. Okay. Yeah. Was that a when popular he foaming at the mouth and shit? What's that? When he starts foaming at the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was show. World I, I, I got, I got to pick up a copy of that. I haven't gotten one yet. I
2: haven't either, so I know that the, I think there's um, all three cuts on there, like, you can just watch the cuts, and then the extra features disc, I hear, uh, yeah, has, that, that, has an interview with the director, but it's like, um, it, it's not subtitled or anything, so... They're a
6: strange bunch to deal with, I mean, I, I won off something weird on eBay, uh, uh, two film cans full of, like, outtakes and shit like that, mm-hmm. actually, I thought it was the whole fucking movie, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, thinking... Because a whole fucking movie on 35 millimeter would have been, you know, probably five big reels, and I probably wouldn't have been able to afford the postage. Mm. But I had contacted them guys, and I said, you know, maybe you guys might want this. All I got was a congratulations on your win. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Code so Red I you're
2: saw. talking about? You tried to contact? Or...
6: Yeah. I yeah. said, you know, I figured maybe they could use this shit. Who the hell knew what it was? But they just, you know, didn't even make me, I you know, I would have taken, you know, throw me a handful of DVDs. Because I can't do nothing with it. Right, right. So I sold it to somebody in South Jersey. I don't know what happened to it. But
2: Private collector, probably. I don't, I don't
6: care, but yeah. But mm. that's the only places you're going to get some of that footage, you know?
2: Mm. So uh, I guess my next question is, uh, where, where are you at with the creative flow? Or, or you You said you're working on a book. or Are, are you planning to put one more DVD out? Or?
6: Well, right now there's... Two projects that have been transferred, but I haven't, you know, had them up here for me to, like, do the liners and do the on-camera stuff. That Those will probably be out by the end of the year or maybe by October.
2: And if, you'll be putting them out yourself or? No, through,
6: you know, through Alternatives, uh, After Hours Cinema. Okay. They have it down there. I'm not, I'm not about, you know, they've been good to me and I'm not about to jump ship, you know, with them unless, unless they say it's over. Then I'll worry about it. You know, they're not saying it's over. They're just—they know the deal. They know everything's in the crapper now. It's just like you know, sit and wait. I mean, like I said, I got that—you know—the kings and queens of New York City porn down there. I'd love to do. I know there's, there's a bunch of other features I'd love to put out. It's just you know, these guys got to—you know—get with the program. You know, and we even—we even dropped the fucking price. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get two DVD a double, two DVD set for twenty bucks. What more do you want? You know? Yeah, that's a damn good deal. I know. I know. So. You know, we, we had, you know, I, I said, you know, I think some of the stuff is, you know, was overpriced, and maybe we got to come down. That's, you know, that's the only way you are gonna sell. I think they're even they're even taking some of the old stuff and putting packages together.
2: Have you, you guys know? thought about maybe doing like a on demand online where you control yeah, they're, everything? Yeah, they're,
6: they're 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 trying to do that too with you know sell the downloads and shit, but you know they've got to do it on their own site because they, Amazon ain't gonna let it happen. You know, yeah. if you want to do it with them. Amazon's fucked up anyway. It just They don't even know what they're selling. I mean, I got kicked off for life for selling a copy of Insatiable 2 that I pulled out of their fucking database.
7: Mm-hmm. And
6: I'm arguing with them. And they go, if somebody else is selling this, you, you're obligated to tell us who it is. I said, you're suspending me for life and hold my money for 90 days? Fuck you. I'm not obligated to do shit. Right. Pay me and then I'll maybe say something. <laughs> right. I, don't know, I, don't know what, I don't know what the hell it is, but go on, go on uh, Amazon and punch up Insatiable 2. I'll bet you it comes up and I'll, somebody's selling it.
2: Yeah, I've seen a lot of sleazy titles on there. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. Well, they, they go on
6: a purge every once in a while. They they throw off all the hentai anime. Mm-hmm. So it's stupid. What the fuck do you care? As long as you're getting paid, you know. Yeah, I, I just think
2: they don't wanna good. they don't wanna take the responsibility of underage kids getting old stuff or something. They want to slap it stupid. off on someone
6: else. Anybody can get any of the shit. That that that's fucking bullshit. I mean. I didn't even know how to, the first computer I got when I was to the internet. I'm fucking around, I don't even know what I'm doing. The first it came up with was some chick blowing a pig. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, so Yeah. you're gonna find it.
2: Yeah, it's pretty easy and accessible, even more so now. So
6: yeah, just stupidity. That's all. You know, if somebody wants it bad enough, they're gonna get it. That, that's that's my, my my whole thing about banning shit. It's like. The minute somebody finds out that you can't have this anymore, even if they never gave a shit about it, they're going to want to try it.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: I mean, if, if you all of a sudden graham crackers became illegal tomorrow and I hate graham crackers, I'm going to go out and buy three boxes of them and sit on them because I can't have them. Yeah.
3: yeah.
7: That's
6: that's the human nature. And they don't understand that. You know, it's the whole thing, even with the drugs and everything like that. You know, Ron Paul legalized all the drugs and people are like, oh, my God. Yeah. Why not? Mm-hmm. Why the fuck not? And I'm not saying because I smoke weed or do anything else. It's the whole deal is, all this money is going into organized crime. Even worse than organized crime, you know, the Mexican Mafia, this, that, you know, terrorist organizations and shit. You legalize it, you control it like alcohol, and yeah, it may be mayhem for the first year. Because what will happen is, the serious users, you know, the the, the casual users will try and drop out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like anything else. So, I even think Jimmy Breslin said that once. you know, there's a certain segment of the human society that is destined to wind up laying in the gutter. Yeah. Yeah. And whether the shit's legal or illegal, it's going to happen to them. And you can't do nothing about it because that's their makeup, you know.
2: Well, Amsterdam's pretty much decriminalized a lot of these drugs. And and I guess hardcore drug users are far and few between. And you've got people that want to smoke
6: pot and they're mostly tourists. so. Yeah, I mean, you know, what the fuck? I mean, you know, they killed me in California because... They knocked down that whole thing? I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're saying there's no jobs, you're saying there's no this. This would have created a cottage industry. I mean, you can make clothes out of it, you can make get oil out of it, you can make fucking paper out of it. You know, you, it's medicinal fucking use and shit mm-hmm. like that. It would have created hundreds of thousands of jobs. But because some fucking douchebag back in the 30s, DuPont and Hearst, mm-hmm. put it as a rider on a fucking bill that went through Congress because... Hearst with the paper, DuPont with the nylon. It was never even fucking classified as a dangerous drug until the 60s.
2: Well, I love it how they blurred hemp and marijuana together, and they demonized yep. it. So, oh, yeah. Yeah.
6: The bottom line is because the goddamn drug companies do not want you growing something beneficial in your backyard that they're not getting a piece of.
2: Well, I think it's also the cigarette industry and uh, alcohol. Oh, right? they don't cigarette want to
6: industry. It. The cigarette industry, back, back in the 70s, had patented names like Acapulco gold and Panama red so they were getting ready to they, to want, it. they want it they wanted it they'll make money on this shit come on nobody's buying you know how how power tobacco sales they ain't that fucking good you know mm-hmm. they want it to happen I mean fuck everybody you know anybody who's sane wants this to happen because you know for, forget you know the obvious it's 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 the financial it'll take the burden of taxpayer off you know yeah yeah. I mean, you know, if people are willing to pay... I've heard $400 an ounce for fucking medical, you know?
2: It can be, yeah, definitely. I mean, if
6: people are willing to fucking pay that, why not make it happen and tax it and get take the fucking tax burden off the rest of us, for crying out loud, you know?
2: Well, they said uh, after five years of uh, legalization of marijuana that we'd fix the deficit. So, I mean, that's just...
6: It's, it's insanity why you wouldn't want to do something like that. No, yeah, because yeah. they're fucking jerk-offs. They'd rather fucking, you know, blow something up, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, th- then they were trying to tie, you know... Tie, yeah, yeah you, are, you can tie in drugs to, to terrorists because why the fuck are poppies growing in South America? They're not native to that country.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah. So you can't tell me the terrorists ain't got a fucking hand in heroin production. Well, you got all these
2: photos, too, in, our, in uh, Afghanistan of our, our soldiers guarding the uh, poppies. And it's like, oh, yeah. well, this is what they do. They make hash. It's like, oh, they make heroin, too. you know? Yeah, exactly.
6: Why are you, you know, guarding? Are the only, you know, you, you want to end the, t- the you know the stream of... of terrorist dollars that that are funneled through drugs you fucking legalize it that's mm-hmm. what you do mm-hmm. you don't fucking throw people in prison for having a fucking roach in their ashtray for christ's sake
2: i remember back in the early 2000s uh there was this one of those uh you know drug commercials or whatever and the two guys were sitting in a restaurant and he's like yeah if you buy marijuana you're supporting terrorists i'm like what yeah. are you kidding yeah. me most of the marijuana comes from canada and in
6: mexico you know and so- here you know yeah yeah now with the medical so i know it's it's fucking nuts but you know we can we can talk all night but he's you know are not going to do anything the, the fucking somebody somebody in higher power has to get get a grip on this shit and realize what they're doing is fucking wrong and writing it that's all yeah yeah i don't know well oh well
2: <laughs> we need a thomas jefferson that's what
6: we need i know <laughs> no we need a jesse ventura somebody who ain't gonna take any fucking shit that's what we need
2: yeah, I agree with that, too, as well. At least get Jesse in there as a VP, you know? Yeah. So.
6: Yep. Man, who knows? It might happen. They're talking about a third party. I mean, hit him and Ron Paul, I'd vote for them in a heartbeat, you know?
2: Yeah, I'm going to write it in, so I don't yeah. give a shit. I'm going to write his name. Even Sid Haig. Sid Hague
6: was running legit. People were writing his name in, too. He's running? No, he would. he'll no. They were doing something, but, uh, you know, he was having town hall meetings and shit. It made sense. You know, the funny part is all the guys that make sense know everything's fucked up. The powers that be don't want to fucking fix it. So. What do you think? You think a revolution's coming or what? I hate to say it, but I think so. Yeah. My my honest opinion is it's going to take one fucking stupid incident, something completely utterly fucking like the guy getting shot in the head in Oakland with the fucking canister and shit. Mm hmm. Something like that that's just going to fucking piss the wrong fucking people off, and it's going to be a fucking trickle-down effect. Because there's no jobs coming back. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. You're going to bring all these troops home? To what? There's no work for them. Well,
2: that's – you know, I've talked to my grandmother about this too, and that's why she's afraid of Ron Paul because she says, well, she understands where he's coming from. She's like, yeah, well, if we pull all the troops out of, you know, all these different foreign countries and stuff – what are they going to have left when they get here? There's nothing. They have to stay out in these foreign countries cuz there's no money here. Yeah, well, you want to bring them home?
6: Put them on the fucking border. Mm-hmm, exactly. Shoot the kill. Yep. Put them on the Canadian border too. You want, you know, cover all your fucking bases. Well, there's
2: money there. I mean, the tax dollars are being spent on it. Why not? Spend yeah, why not? It twice do it? They, you
6: know, well why if they put them on the Mexican border, it's going to kill their little their little drug trade. Yep. yep. That's what's going to happen. Do feels, something with these guys. It feels like the
2: uh, the U.S. government has some kind of uh, uh, deal with the Mexicans with this brick weed. That's what it seems like, because that's the gateway right there. Whether people like to say it or not, it's a gateway to the drug dealers that have the ecstasy, the heroin, and crack. I mean, I would have yeah. never seen any of this shit if I hadn't you know, bought a bag, you know? So. Yeah. That's the whole
6: thing, though. For, for some reason, they're keeping that fucking pipeline open. It, 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 you know, and, and my thing is, I even said this right after 9-11, because how they're watching everything right around the corner from liquidators was a real big drug block and they were quiet for two whole fucking days wow so if drugs are getting in so is everything else yeah all and right. to all my fans out there stay sick
0: this is the man get out of his way his target is bucktown and this is the day Bucktown, where the chicks are on the make.
4: But first, I want to see the color of green.
0: And I'll tell both of you in the time. You'll never forget. It. The cops are on the tape. It's going to be five next week. You understand that, boy? And the welcoming committee is a sawed-off shotgun. Bucktown. Starring Fred Williamson, Pan Greer, Thalamus Rasulala, and Tony King. They're the greatest black attack pack you'll ever see. You know any prayers, Cracker? Well, shame on you if you don't. And they're taking over Bucktown. Damn, brother, you have become one violent dude. They're trouble, Brian. They don't look right. Just remember, we're the law. God is on our side. (laughs) Fred Williamson is Duke Johnson.
4: Say, baby, you know, if you're interested, I could turn you on to a whole lot of fun.
0: No thanks. You're not much for manners, are you? You... I it. Pam Greer is Aretha. Well,
4: you think you're really something, don't you? The super successful young brother. Everyone kowtowing to you.
0: Toast, huh? Thalamus Rasulala is Roy. The beautiful <laughs> Bucktown. And Tony King is TJ. Hey, that's my hat. a sloppy there, boy. Together, they're gonna paint Bucktown red. <laughs> well what you think home it's cool like stealing candy from a baby oh yeah Yeah. that's a good shot (laughs) fred williamson pam greer thalmas rasulala tony king they're dynamite in bucktown Do you still believe in horror, exploitation, sleaze and cheese, and all that goes with it? If so, come check out Behind the Mask podcast. And if you don't believe, we'll make you believe. Check out your ultimate guide to movies, music, and nostalgia at BehindTheMaskPresents.com.
4: I am an American citizen. They're taking my husband.
0: August 1990. you guest of honor. Your brother and I are old friends. You know, Doug, this is my brother.
4: If he's in any kind of danger, I'm going to get him home any way I can. We return to a land
0: where enemies are forever. I'm not supposed to be here in this country. I need your help.
4: He took your brother to a Tar-Sultan.
0: Where revenge becomes destiny. <laughs> and killing is the custom. Before Desert Storm, one man dared to take on the army of a nation. You're all dead, man. How no! could you have married him?
4: If I didn't marry him, he would have
0: been killed. <laughs> To save what was sacred. Your brother loves you very much. He will come. Are you
1: using me as bait? Are
0: you afraid, Mr. Matthews? Yes, I am. You have a right to be. The world watched, the world waited, and one man risked everything for freedom Michael Dubakov. The human shield.
5: was pretty good what
1: that movie gets an M G straight up straight up M G material
5: honey is that robert de niro across the street hey yo
1: sure looks like him can't be though yeah
5: you he's calling to us let's just go but it's bobby fucking d honey hey yo that's right it's bobby fucking de niro over here Hey, a lot of people don't know this about me. Yeah, I'm mingling down here with the drug dealers, the pimps, the pushers, the low-level gangsters, you know. Honestly, I'm slinging some shit myself. You may not know this about me, but I'm a fan of podcasts. Yeah, I've been listening to these guys' bloodbaths and boomsticks. a Couple of knuckleheads from around the way. You got John Smallberries. What a fucking name on this guy. You got Corey G. The guy's fucking half-retarded over here. Likes John Woo, for fuck's sake. Then you got Tim Gross. He's got the movie watching constitution of a Billy goat. Hey. Find these guys at bloodbaths and Long fucking name, but just go find it. It's worth it. You knuckleheads got that? Yeah. Bloodbaths and boomsticks. It's on
7: the house.
2: back, Bat32 rocking here solo, we had some technical difficulties with Skype and the recorder, we wanted to bring you guys Buddha Bag, but it just didn't work out, but you know, we brought you a massive interview, so I hope you guys all enjoyed that, I also wanted to take this opportunity to thank all the listeners that donated to the show to try to get us back up and running, much appreciated, I know uh, T-Shirt Joe was running uh, a deal with the shirt, so I gotta thank him, and everyone who bought a shirt and donated it's much appreciated um we're gonna try to get some more episodes rocking here but uh i think they're gonna be more far and few between till fall comes around but you never know i think j-dog's working on uh something uh to put an episode together i don't know what exactly i've got a few solo shows i'd like to do um so really uh it's everything's kind of up in the air but we will be back uh just stay tuned to the facebook page and uh the official website and uh keep your eyes peeled and other than that i'm gonna rock out the show with uh some outro music and uh yeah you guys be easy